Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. Minute where we check the fuel tanks of Mad Max 2 The Road Warrior one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 8, which begins with Wes pulling a bolt from his arm, and it ends with Max tapping on the big rig's gas tanks. We catch up with Dr. Wes Wasteland Surgeon. <laughs> Yesterday, we left off. He was just grasping the bolt in his arm. Well, we pick up today right where we left off with him with his hand around that bolt. And he's not exactly like pulling it out. He just seems to be like psyching himself up for it. Yeah, I I say that he's doing it slowly as a criticism, but... You know what? How would I act if I were pulling an arrow out of my arm? Mm-hmm. You know, so I really just shouldn't talk. Yeah. But I feel like he's doing it slowly on purpose. Yeah. And I mean, he's like to keeping eye contact with Max. Right. Like it is for Max's benefit that he's doing this so slowly. Yeah. Like he had to look down at the bolt to grab it. But then as soon as he had his hand around it, he like looked back up at max and yes. he was like oh look at me i'm big old tough guy pulling a bolt out of my arm it's like he's some sort of meat-headed chris angel trying to mind freak max yeah like, well can't handle it gonna mind freak you <laughs> the arrows themselves seem pretty simple that's for sure. I mean, you look yeah, at the bolt. I appreciate that. You look at the bolt on his little arm-mounted crossbow, and it looks like it has a pretty broad head, like a arrow, diamond-shaped arrowhead on it. But the bolt that's sticking out in his arm and the bolts that he's got sitting in his leg holster that we're going to see later on in this minute, they're like just really thin. Thin silvery shafts with some almost like probably metallic fletching at the end, like really simple, probably very easy to manufacture, which is why everybody in that gang so far is using these same type of bolts, whether it's in an arm crossbow or in like some sort of air cannon thing. Yeah. Oh, crud. What was it called? Port-a-pack. Yeah. It was called a port-a-pack. Uh, I did appreciate that it was the same dart. Mm-hmm. It matched the others that he put when he put it away. Um, that tells me that there is some sense of community among this marauding gang that they have a supplier yes. well, of I mean- these darts. They have... Probably somebody within the group who makes them. That's probably like their job. And their job, how they contribute to the community, is they produce these darts. Yeah, because everybody in the marauding horde needs to have a job, have something they contribute. Right. Especially in a post-apocalyptic world, you have to contribute. Mm-hmm. This group cannot afford to carry somebody who's not pulling his weight. And so if you're not pulling your weight, they're going to ditch you. They're going to kill you. Yeah. They're not even going to just leave you behind somewhere. Yeah. They're going to kill you. But at the same time, not everybody in the gang has a very obvious marketable skill. Some people are just kept around, you know, on the whim or pleasure of another. Like the Golden Youth does nothing. Yes, very true. But I think Wes has to make up for that. Mm. If Wes insists on the Golden Youth being around, the Golden Youth has no marketable skills. He is there for the pleasure of Wes. He's Wes's responsibility. Yeah. And Wes needs to 
to pull not only his own weight, but the weight of the golden youth. Mm. Which, okay, no matter what their relationship is, I think that Wes should get the golden youth an education in medical practice. To, like, patch him up? Yes, because he drags the golden youth everywhere he goes. So the golden youth would be really helpful to pull the the arrow out of Wes's arm and immediately, like, field dress it. Mm. I think that would be really handy. I don't know. I feel like that would... Be too useful? Yeah, because I feel like... For this the, beautiful boy? The golden youth's purpose is to be Wes's property. And if yeah. the golden boy had a skill, that would give the golden boy self-worth. And, you know, and as Wes's property, he's not allowed to have no, self-worth. No, he can't have self-worth. Yeah. It's a weird thing that they have. Yes. It's it's strange. We t- spent a lot of time talking <laughs> about it yesterday. Yes, we did. More than we planned. Our notes didn't go near as deep into any of the things that we talked about as far as Wes and the Golden Boy. Golden Youth, I should correct myself. So Max is sitting here watching this display. (laughs) Yes, which let me remind you that they are very, very far apart. Yeah, you mentioned this yesterday. They're not close. (laughs) So what can Max really see? I mean, he knows that there is an arrow in Wes's arm. So he probably understands that Wes has reached over and his grabbing the bolt. But how much does he really like get a sense of what is actually happening? Yeah, when you think of it in terms of the distance between them and yeah. it looks like a good couple hundred yards meters i should say like when we see the perspective of max standing next to the truck and we see wes up towards the ridge like wes does not seem very large from max's perspective and so wes is doing all of these over dramatic motions and facial expressions and max is just sitting there with this look on his face of like what's going on because to max wes is like three inches tall right from his perspective like super far away right so i mean max just isn't impressed yeah i mean you get the sense that max's attention is really divided here his eyes are on wes because he's a madman on a motorcycle and the last time max took his eyes off of madmen on motorcycles he got his knee blown out right but his mind is on that gasoline yes and the tension is building for us the music is creating tension for max simply time passing is creating tension Mm -hmm. he does have an idea that wes is over there doing something And he he probably realizes that he's working on getting the bolt out of his arm. So tension is building and building and building. And Max is just trying to, again, his attention is divided between I I have to have this fuel and what is Wes going to do once that bolt in his arm is no longer a hindrance? Yeah, because he needs to like self preserve but at the same time but both of those things are self-preservation if his gasoline containers are starting to fill up maybe you know he needs to have some time to not be focusing on the crazy guy yeah i think the receptacles that he placed under the gasoline are plenty to like collect everything he needs because really he doesn't reach for anything else and he kind of no he seems pretty satisfied with the setup yeah uh which is good because the arrow finally comes out oh, yeah. of Wes's arm. And the expression on Wes's face, I mentioned it briefly yesterday, was pleasure. Yeah, like... Like dominance pleasure. Like he got that rush of like sting pain that you get when you remove something. 
And it's like, that is his rush. That is his, oh, I am alive. Yes. Like I conquered this thing. Mm -hmm. And that that bolt looked pretty deep. I didn't get an accurate measurement. It kind of seemed like a fair amount of that bolt was stuck in his arm. Like based on how he holds it up and how much his fist covers the length of the bolt versus how much wasn't covered by his hand versus how much you kind of see in that close-up shot. I really tried to get a good sense of how much that bolt was in his arm, and I just couldn't get a satisfactory answer. I wouldn't know. I'm kind of bummed out about that. Because I didn't look. (laughs) Once it, like, started to come out of his arm, I was like, nope. It was a nifty little effect. You can definitely tell that they had some sort of makeup prosthetic on his arm, kind of adding like extra bulk to his bicep, so that way they could fit the bolt in there. Ah, okay. Yeah. It looked pretty cool. Yeah. And it's a really quick shot. It's only about a second of, you know, that really close in him pulling the arrow out. pull it out. Yeah, I skipped that part. But yeah, after he gets that arrow out, he's holding that up triumphant like a trophy, like... Huzzah, I have done it. You know, look at me. Look at me what I did. Yeah, look at me, look at me. And look I, at me. I think this instance is what you were talking about yesterday. Yes, of when he says for you, indicates the arrow and says for you to Max, which again, Max wouldn't be able to see that. Yeah, because he's way far away. So Wes, that was for himself. Oh, yeah. When when he indicated that that bolt was for Max, that was just for himself. There's no way that he would ever have thought that Max would understand that from that distance. So I'm sure he was hoping. I'm sure he was (laughs) really hoping that somehow Max was able to see the the mouthing that yeah. Wes was doing. One thing's for sure, Wes did not give his wound proper care at that moment. No. I went and I actually looked up and I think I actually found an article on the Mayo Clinic website first aid steps for like puncture wounds and like the number one step for treating a puncture wound is washing your hands which who knows how long it's been since he's washed his hands yeah so you wash your hands you stop the bleeding by applying gentle pressure with a bandage or clean cloth and then you clean the wound you rinse it with clear water make sure there's no debris in there and then you kind of clean the area with antiseptic and then for good measure you apply an antibiotic and then like a thin like layer of like bandages to keep the the wound clean and keep harmful bacteria out but like not like don't like smother it because you gotta let it breathe a little bit like gauze yeah so you cover the wound and then you know change the dressing if it starts bleeding through and then you know keep keep watch for infection like that's like all seven steps of treating a puncture wound but no wes just kind of pulls that arrow out and then he's all huzzah about it completely ignoring all sorts of this is where it would have been really handy for at the very least the the golden youth to have some sort of first aid skills at least carry a first aid pack <laughs> like he's got a like little, little at pouch least, of band-aids yeah like at least cover the wound so that it doesn't get worse because mm. i'm sure they have some sort of medical staff that hang out with the 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 gang yeah 
someone in the gang that acts as a medic or a doctor or something right. like that. If they didn't, they'd all be dead by now. Right. <laughs> of infection. <laughs> they would all be dead of infection and disease by now. So the very fact that they're alive means that they have some sort of medical care. So even if the golden boy, the golden youth, even if he was just carrying a first aid kit and covered the wound. You. I'm just, I'm baffled by his uselessness. You really want him to have a purpose, don't you? <laughs> I really do. I really do. People should have a purpose. And being somebody's slave is not a purpose. It's like a terrible job. Like your job is not your purpose. Right. And really the only thing the golden boy has is his job. Right. And that's sad. And his job is to be blonde and young. Mm -hmm. It's not a very stable job. No. I mean, he's going to grow out of it. If, uh, no, he's not going to grow out of it. Never mind. <laughs> So Wes takes this bolt and he puts down, he's got like little belt loops in his pant leg and he kind of slides the bolt into one of the open spots. And conveniently, he just happens to have one slot available to put That's that arrow in. because that bolt is in his arm thingamajigger. Well, maybe. The bolt in his crossbow, like it has a an arrowhead on it. Yeah, you think it's different and than the And the other bolt. darts don't have arrowheads on them because they just slip into like those little leather pockets. And there's not like a substantial element to them. It's interesting, like what kind of ammo he's carrying. But aside from picking into the minutiae of exactly what kind of arrows he's carrying, I really like the detail that his outfit has function more so than just intimidation through form. You know, we talked a little bit about how a lot of the outfits in the Humongous's gang, and we're going to see a lot more of them later, but they were inspired by this BDSM thing. And it's not just the style of it, like he has storage for his crossbow bolts this is function more so than just style and it makes sense because they're out in the middle of nowhere and you have to carry everything with you and if you've got little pouches and slots and things like that all over your person it's incredibly useful and i think it's a great little detail i'm actually more mystified by the boots that the golden youth is wearing keeping in mind again we're post-apocalyptic we're out in the wilderness Things need to have function, and he's got chains hanging from, like, like draped across the front yeah. half of the boot, like up the calf. Like, he's got like, accent chains. Yes, and that is all form. Mm -hmm. There's no function there. So... In this post-apocalyptic wasteland where people are fighting for their lives on a daily basis, somebody took the time to make a good-looking boot with chains on it. Yeah, I think it's an, it's an interesting mix because, yeah, you've got some of these pieces that are strictly style, but at the same time, like, those are tall rugged looking boots like those are the kind of boots that are probably going to last him for a long time yeah it's like the boot itself is a good functional boot and then they threw the chain on it yeah it's kind of a thing where like yeah they're fashionable but they're also functional and they're functional but everyone has added their own little embellishment onto it there's just a lot of character yeah and i love seeing that so i guess that kind of says that this gang is so good at what they do so good at surviving that they have time and and surplus materials to add embellishment. Yes. he's, I mean, everybody has embellishment on their outfits. Their outfits are, like, weird and interesting, and they've all got embellishments. And some of them are very non-functional. Like, Lord Humongous's outfit, that is not functional, like, in any way. Yeah, that guy is going to get skin Oh, no, he's not going to get skin cancer. No. <laughs> 
Um, so it reminds me of um, studies of, of how civilization started, mm-hmm. that, that people started as hunter-gatherers, and that took up all of their time. They didn't have time to do anything else. It was sustenance living. So once people developed um, agriculture and a smaller group of of people could focus on growing a field of crops that would feed more than just themselves. That means those other people who who were going to get fed by those crops but didn't have to work them could go do something else. Yeah. And artistry and leadership... It's like a Maslow's hierarchy Yeah, was able to form because they had surplus resources. Not everybody had to be gathering food anymore. Yeah. So it kind of seems like the same situation here. This gang has gotten to the point where they have surplus time and resources that some people can devote themselves to artistry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really so cool. Yeah, I know that they're the bad guys, but they're like rebuilding civilization. They're bad guys, but at the same time, they're interesting to look at. Absolutely. <laughs> they're very interesting to look at. Like, sometimes enemy designs are just boring, you know? Like, you think back to, like, 2012, the Avengers movie, like, the the aliens at the end, the Chitari coming through, and they, they're just, you know, blue aliens with, like, armor on or something like that. They're just boring, because they're... Yeah, the aliens themselves are boring. Those, um, the big, like, Leviathan things... Like, they're interesting. They were cool. But yeah, you're right. Like, the aliens themselves were boring. Yeah, I don't think there are many boring henchmen in the Lord Humongous's horde. I think they all have just little interesting embellishments and elements to them. And that's Mm -hmm. what I like about them. This roving horde of rapists and murderers and thieves and bad people. (laughs) They're awful people. So Wes puts that bolt in his little pant loop thing. And then he kind of revs his motorcycle and starts rolling forward. And we cut to Max. He sees that Wes is on the move. And so his expectation into action. Yeah. His expectation is the same as our expectation. We're expecting that Wes is now going to charge Max because he's got this bolt out of his arm. So that's what Max thinks. He stands up, he pulls out his shotgun and he's ready to go. The last time someone charged him with a motorcycle, he was lying (laughs) flat on his back well gall darn it not this time he's gonna you know face this guy standing Um, this is actually the first time we see him pull out his sawed off shotgun it's supposed to be the same shotgun that he had back in the first movie the one that he held up johnny the boy with but it's actually slightly different the um the foregrip is a little bit longer a bit more triangular the trigger guard is a different shape but it's still supposed to be that same vg bentley sawed off specialty thing that right. he had the first time around. And if you're not analyzing the movie minute by minute... You're not going to notice that. You're not going to notice. It's the same gun and you appreciate that he still has the gun. Mm-hmm. One major difference about this gun in The Road Warrior as opposed to Mad Max is that it has lost all of its magical ability to fire more than twice. Um, If I remember correctly, he never actually fires it in this movie. I think he fires successfully once... All right. We're going to see it. We'll watch for it. It's not until like the end of the movie. Okay. Like they are running from the horde. I can't remember where I read it. That someone was saying, oh, poor Max. He never actually gets to fire that shotgun. I say, we're going to pay very special attention to that. We'll see. (laughs) If someone is making a claim like that, it's going to be our responsibility to either confirm or refute it. Yes. So when Max kind of jumps to attention, also the dog does, which I really like. We've, we, 
we've seen them have a certain level of communication before and that is continued like max is concerned and at attention therefore the dog is concerned and at attention mm-hmm which distracts the dog from eating the kangaroo. I'm not so sure that the the dog was actually eating the kangaroo. I think he was just kind of sniffing around it. Okay, I'll give you that, but I think that given more time, he would have eaten the kangaroo. I say, yeah, that now, makes sense. This kangaroo. This poor kangaroo. I have an issue with this kangaroo. It looks like it was shot by one of those arrows. Exactly, which means when whoever attacked this rig, I'm going to assume that the kangaroo was alive at the time and whoever attacked it killed the kangaroo. Well, why not eat the kangaroo? Yeah, I mean... It's not like it was roadkill... And it had been dead for an unknown amount of time, you wouldn't eat them then. But if you're the one that killed it, you know exactly how long it's been dead. Eat the kangaroo. Yeah. Now, I'm, I am a little lapse in my duties. I did not research, you know, how, how to butcher a kangaroo and what kind of flavors or textures you could expect from that type of thing. I feel mm. a little derelict in my duty. My, my biggest curiosity is, you know, different cultures feel very different ways about which animals you eat and which you don't. Classic is the stereotype. I'm going to very, it's a stereotype because I do not know what the truth is, is that Asian countries are okay with eating cats and dogs. And we in America are not. So I, I don't know, you know, the Australian culture, how they would feel about eating a kangaroo. A cursory search brings up an image from Pinterest, and it is kind of a cross-section. It shows you all of the myriad style of cuts that you can get from a kangaroo carcass, and oh my gosh, it's a lot. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a large animal. Yeah. Very muscular animal. Well, if there's maps like that, like butcher butcher maps, butcher... I, I, I don't know what the correct word is there, but if those exist, and I assume that it's socially okay to eat a kangaroo? Yeah, I don't see why not. Um, side note about the word kangaroo. I spell it when I'm writing it down by saying kanga and roo from Winnie the Pooh. Of course. And that's how I spell kangaroo. Okay, so this is just the first um, the first return from Googling would an Australian eat a kangaroo? This is from BBC.com um, I think a magazine article from 2013. Australians have an ingrained reluctance to eat their national emblem, which only makes sense, but a number of chefs are now championing kangaroo as a delicious and environmentally friendly alternative to beef and pork. Mm -hmm. Apparently, it tastes like a cross between venison and buffalo. Oh, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, not sure I've ever had buffalo. I don't care for venison unless it's like in a stew. Mm -hmm. I'm good with venison stew, but like uh, like a venison steak or a venison sausage, not so much. Yeah, thetastingbuds.com says that it has a wonderful gamey taste that adds a lot of flavor without being overpowering, uh, perhaps because kangaroos live in the wild and feed on grass and shrubs. The texture of the meat is not quite as dry as deer, but it's leaner than buffalo, which makes sense because, I mean, they're hopping around all the time and right. expending a lot of energy. It's not like they're going to be that fatty. In fact, tastingbuds.com just gave me a handy little <laughs> link to order Order some kangaroo jerky on Amazon, although this specific brand seems to be unavailable at the time. So maybe another time we'll think about that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it's a little ridiculous to think that whoever killed this kangaroo filled it with arrows and then filled the truck behind it with arrows and then just left it. Yeah, like I'm 
frankly, I'm a little surprised I didn't eat the driver. Mm. Like, I, this I don't is... want to talk about the driver until tomorrow. No. I mean, I it's, can't believe they would leave behind fresh meat. It's irresponsible and wasteful. And it is wasteful. Frankly, I'm glad we don't find out who is the source of all these arrows because they did an terribly irresponsible thing. Yes. Just leaving it behind. Yeah. So the dog perks up, runs up next to Max and, and is ready to fight alongside him. But Wes just ends up turning his bike around and riding away. So it's like he was doing all this intimidating stuff and then he kind of made it look like he was going to charge Max. But now he's just going to run away. Yeah. It was all a mental game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There'll be plenty of time for him to destroy someone later. Apparently, there's a popular belief that says that as the motorcycle is riding away, that the rider has a dummy on the back of the motorcycle in the place of the golden youth. But it actually turns out that the rider and the passenger are local Broken Hill residents, the rider and his girlfriend. So they kind of stood in for Wes and the Golden Youth in this shot as they ride up over the ridge. Okay. I find it very interesting, and this was true in the last movie as well, and I'm sure it'll be true in all of the movies, even when it's like simple riding especially motorcycles even when they're just riding the motorcycle often it will be somebody else who's actually doing the riding of the motorcycle say actors are expensive to (laughs) replace yeah so speaking of replacing max as he sees wes riding away puts his shotgun away and kind of turns back and i really like this moment he is so relaxed yeah like immediately it was just a switch that turned off It's the first time in this movie that Max is not actively fighting for his life. Yeah, it's a chance for him to just take a deep breath and be like, ah, thank goodness I don't have to deal with more BS. Right. Like, I I just get to do my thing on the scene and then move on. Yep. So he walks back along the entire length of the truck. He kind of looks at the tarp and walks past the buggy because I guess all the stuff that he put down is just going to be enough to catch all that gas anyway. Yeah. And he walks up to the the cab of the Mac and he kind of taps on the gas tanks and starts at the top and he's listening for it to not sound hollow. And I think he gets all the way to the bottom and he doesn't hear anything. It's hollow. I mean... Whoever attacked this scene, whoever did this damage, they may have left behind a perfectly good kangaroo, but they did not leave behind any fuel. Mm-hmm. Like, and a big truck like that, that's high-octane yeah, diesel. That's good stuff. Yes, and that was a big tank. So even if the tank was only like a quarter full, that's still a lot of good, good fuel. Yeah, it kind of makes me wonder if the Mac ran out of gas before it stopped in that spot, and that's why it was such an easy target. Or if they were ambushed while they were resting and then whoever ambushed stole the rest of the gasoline. It doesn't much matter at this point because it's all said and done. No, and it's and it's not part of the storyline. But I but I sometimes wonder. Yeah, I definitely wonder. Um I also wonder if maybe the truck was stopped because it hit the kangaroo. Mm. And killed the kangaroo. And that so the truck was stopped and whoever attacked it came and attacked it because they were vulnerable and they didn't know how long the kangaroo had been dead. So they just arrowed so they it just to be safe? Arrowed it and and left. Although if it was already laying there dead, it was probably arrowed by accident. Yeah. Like they were trying to shoot at someone else. And right. They, they just probably the peppered kangaroo. Yeah, probably just peppered the area with arrows mm-hmm. from a distance, made sure that nothing was really moving, and then went in, finished off anybody who was alive, and raided the place. Yeah. So maybe that's why 
they didn't take the kangaroo. Maybe. There's certainly not a lot of people around to tell the story. Well, no. there's one specific person left, but like I keep saying, <laughs> we're going to talk about them tomorrow. Yes. Now, we close out this minute with the beginning of a scream and a reaching hand. Mm-hmm. And it's really quick. And then it cuts off. Yeah. We're going to talk more about this scream in this hand. Tomorrow. Right at the top of tomorrow. So yep. you can have that to look forward to. Okay. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. Please remember to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and share on social media to help others find the show. Thank you for joining us for the Road Warrior Minute 8. We'll see you tomorrow.